Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, we will channel the power of Grayskull to ascend Snake Mountain and dethrone the vile Skeletor. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. So we are back on Hops and Box Office Flops, and if the introduction did not give it away, right... We're covering the infamous flop, Masters of the Universe. And though it was indeed a flop, many now consider it a cult classic. And I may have mentioned Snake Mountain, but you won't see it in this movie. So, along with me are Captain Cash. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I have the power! And hailing from parts unknown, Chumpzilla. Howdy, folks. Points of order. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Facebook now at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find myself at WriterTLK on Twitter. And Captain Cash, where the, can they find you? They can find me on most of your various social medias as C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H. Uh, tonight we are drinking Howling Gourds Pumpkin Ale. It's uh, available at Trader Joe's. And uh, I chose because the pumpkins on the box look a lot like Skeletor's rubber face. So go ahead and uh, which, to be fair, it, that's some, that's good character makeup. It actually works. It yeah. works very well. But like many of the things in this movie, uh, that was supposed to cost significantly more and look significantly better. And they're like, you know what? We don't really have the money for it. So it was one of the highlights of the movie, and uh, I'll crack a beer to that. All right, so let's get into a brief background on the film. Masters of the Universe was, was released theatrically uh, August 7th, 1987. Critical and commercial failure. Grossed just $17 million worldwide. It did almost no money overseas, which kind of speaks to the waning value of the property. Uh, cost about $22 million. And as I said, it is now somehow regarded as a classic cult film. I'm not really sure why. It's not that bad. It's super schlocky, super... B-movie, and if you know who the two people who produced it, Yoram Globus and Manahan Golan of Canon Films, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, you'll understand why it is so schlocky and B-movie-esque. It, along with other massive, bigger budget failures for Canon, like Superman 4, Over the Top, they actually put the nail in the coffin of Canon Films, because Canon was really known for basically mass-producing extremely cheap films at an incredible rate. It was the third highest grossing film of the weekend it premiered, losing to Stakeout, Emilio Estevez, Richard Dreyfus, What's Up, and The Living Daylights, uh, one of the Dalton Bond films. And after that, it quickly faded. 17% on Rotten Tomatoes with 23 reviews. Uh, doesn't really mean much with these older movies. But, I mean, here's a couple of quotes. At the time, Variety called it a Conan Star Wars hybrid ripoff that is a colossal bore. And the Los Angeles Times called it a misfiring, underdone epic. Sounds about right. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I mean, it is it is a fairly ambitious film, but when you watch it, you see how many corners they cut. So you could compare it to Conan and Star Wars, but Conan also doesn't take like a detour to suburbia because they ran out of money for cooler sets. 
you do plan on having He-Man in your He-Man film, right? No, they just have the guy with in underwear that doesn't say a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, my biggest problem with this movie is that He-Man is not the main character of the He-Man movie. I actually think Gwildor is the main character. Uh, Skeletor. This whole movie is from Skeletor's perspective. To be fair, Skeletor carries this movie. Frank Langella is acting his ass off in this thing under that latex rubber mask. It's incredible. There's a reason for that, and it's that this was Dolph's second big, big in quotes here, Hollywood movie. Uh. He's fresh off of Rocky IV. Okay. Uh, He wasn't a known quantity, and the director was very nervous because that wasn't the director's pick for He-Man. That was forced on him by the producers. Like, this is the guy, we're doing this with Dolph. They were concerned he didn't have the language chops to pull off the dialogue, so they purposely structured the movie around Skeletor to accommodate and and make up for the the deficiencies they they thought they had in Dolph, which, again, is kind of weird because... He-Man is supposed to be the main character. Because it's Masters of the Universe. Now, this could all be hearsay, but there's a story I found while perusing the interwebs that Stallone came to the set to, like, you know, pay his friend a visit, and he looked at the director and he goes, oh, shit, you gave him lines? (laughs) Something (laughs) to that effect. That might be hearsay, but here's a fact. In Lundgren's contract, he was given three dubs of his dialogue and if he didn't get it right in three dubs they could replace him with a voice actor but canon was too cheap and they said no you have to make it work so that's why some of his dialogue (laughs) is so awkward is because he was dubbing it one two or three times to get it right there's not even a lot of emotional weight required from him at all it's a lot of go go here i'll protect you Skeletor is bad. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, I saw some behind-the-scenes interviews with Dolph, and his English is not that bad. It's not that stilted. He's a Mensa member, man. He's he's a a smart smart guy. guy. Yeah, he legitimately has a PhD, doesn't he? Well, he at least has a chemical engineering degree. Yeah. I don't know about his post postgraduate stuff, but he's he's a chemical engineer. Uh, now, is he is he Swedish or Danish? I'm pretty sure Dolph is Swedish, and it's my understanding that out of most of the European uh, languages, that the Swedes have the easiest time learning English. And I, you know, I, I thought his dialogue, again in those behind-the-scenes interviews, was not nearly as stilted, and the act, the accent wasn't nearly as thick as Arnold's, uh, for example, at that point in their careers. So I'm surprised they were that concerned because he seemed well spoken to me. I'm just entertained that contractually. Dolph's acting performance amounted to, if he dies, he dies. (laughs) So, Dolph Lundgren, one of the stars. You've also got Frosty Frank Langella, who's the highlight of the film. Courtney, I'll be there for you, Cox. Meg Obey Foster. If you don't recognize her, I say Obey because she is the temptress from They Live. You'll notice the eyes. That's the giveaway. Those are her real eyes. Those are not contacts. That's the color. Um, she's Evil Lynn. So, the Colonel, Billy Barty, I say the Colonel because he loves fried chicken. James Stinger Tolkien, sort of a sleuthy MVP of this film, like undercover for real. 
Uh, and there's some others, you know, but nobody really big. Who's the guy from Star Trek? Tom Paris? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a Star Trek guy. Yeah, so. that, that's uh, that's Courtney. Uh, not Courtney. It's Courtney Cox's love interest. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the band guy. Yeah. He, the Julia band. Guy. Juilliard trained actor, for the record. He went to Juilliard. He went to he Juilliard. Went to Juilliard. So he could wear the the collar of truth. Uh, I mean, this movie is way kinkier than any children's film has any right to be. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, basically, He Man's a leather the daddy for most of the movie. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, according to Amazon, uh, the plot of this film, and by the way, you can watch this free on Amazon until September 30th. So, it's going to be a pretty tight squeeze by the time this airs. But it is also free on Tubi, Vudu, and YouTube with ads. But honestly, you're going to need breaks from this movie from time to time. So Amazon described it as the fantastic exploits of He-Man and his arch rival, the evil Skeletor, are brought to the big screen for the first time in this live action adventure. He-Man must free a beautiful sorceress who's been captured by Skeletor in the incredible war between these ultimate forces of good and evil as the time and space of all the universe as its battleground. Really though, it has one throne room and a generic city street as its battleground. So how would you two describe this film in one sentence? The Masters of Suburbia. With Skeletor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this will be a tough one, but uh, the best way to describe this movie would be Skeletor's Day Off. <laughs> that, that was the Ferris, Ferris Bueller reference there, folks. Uh. So I said... Scantily clad man murders fake robot stormtroopers indiscriminately in suburban town. Uh, okay, um, Mr. Wizard, I, I've got to I've got to ask a question because it was not clear to me that the and I think those are Centurion uh, Guard. Is that what they're called? They, they have a name, but it's never is it ever spoken in the movie? No, I I think based upon IMDb, they're called like Skeletor's Dark Guard or something. I have it later in here, and I. Okay, I, I I I think I saw somewhere they were called the Centurion Guard or something. Regardless, so the movie opens with these this, the Death Troopers, the Black Stormtrooper guys. Yeah. And, and and you definitely do see He-Man hitting them and shooting them, but there's sparks. So was it ever explicitly stated that they were robots? Because they were meant to be robots. Let's be clear, that was the intent, but. Even as a kid and as an adult, I was like, "Wait a minute, uh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Like, where was that ever fleshed out?" Much like a lot of the character development or anything that would have made sense to describe in this movie, like, why does uh, not Master at Arms, but the what's uh, the the woman's Duncan. name? Why does she? Oh, Tila. Tila. Has she never eaten anything uh, that has bones? They don't eat meat in Eternia. You're not telling me they fry up old Battle Cat when he's passed. Like that's a lot of good meat there. Listen, it was because the '80s. The vegetarianism came from another dimension, apparently. <laughs> Just because they ran out of money, don't go talking bad about Battle Cat. I know. Okay? Yeah. Of all the there, things this film does not include, the lack of cringer, comma Battle Cat is the one I find most unforgivable. Yeah, but but. Captain Cash, what do you think this battle cat would have looked like? 
You saw Beast Man. They definitely would have gotten a cat and just spray painted it green. With no regard to that animal's safety, it would have been some poor old circus tiger that they just spray painted green and called a day. It it would have been bad. Who was the bad guy with the perm? And the hook hand? What was that guy's name? Karg. Yeah, because some of the effects, like the practical effects, are they're not that bad. Uh, for an 87 movie that you know was made pseudo on the cheap, it holds up okay. My biggest issue with this film is that apart from having Skeletor and characters named He-Man, Evelyn, and Beastman, it bears zero resemblance to the, the source material. Without Skeletor there you would never know that this is a He-Man movie. Yeah. I will say uh, uh, Dolph looked the part for the most part, but the costume they gave him didn't have the Iron Cross, you know, armor. It didn't, it wasn't easily recognizable, but he still looked like a He-Man kind of. But yeah, I, I agree. And I've made this argument on previous pods I'm a sucker for at least a a good attempt at making a comic or source material accurate costume. And this movie fails there significantly. And, and I will add, as a child, the thing that confused me the most was the the Blade character. Because oh, yeah. I, I thought that was supposed to be Lockjaw. Trapjaw. Trapjaw. Sorry, yeah. Sorry. Lockjaw's the dog. Yeah. Trapjaw, Yeah. I was like, oh, it's Trap Job, but different. Okay. And then they call him a different name. And then it just dawned on me as it went on. Like, oh, that's not him. But I wanted it in my head. I'm like, I want that to be Trap Job. I want that to be that, you know, the guy with the mechanical arm. Because that was an awesome action figure. Yeah. Well, I mean, down low MVP candidate, Blade Rules. Still, still a cool character. Yeah. One of the better, better characters. And actually, that actor did a really good job, too. Uh, you know that, that that guy's performance was pretty decent, but yeah, again, it, it wasn't close enough to the source material. I was left unsatisfied. When Skeletor says, "What a curious quartet!" in describing the four people Evelyn decides to send to this town, what he means is two of you four are useless assholes. That being <laughs> the guy with the hook hand and the lizard man he later kills. <laughs> Sauron. Yeah. yeah. That scene is one of the big Star Wars references in the movie because that's clearly Darth Vader looking over the bounty hunters in uh, The Empire Strikes Back, right? Oh, like, yeah. That, that's totally what that is. Which one's the Boba Fett? Oh, man, does that mean Karg's the Boba Fett? Ugh. Uh, no, Blade's the Boba Fett. Yeah, Blade's got to be Boba Fett. He's, he's a badass, dude. That's like the one really cool action scene is when he's sword fighting He-Man. Which is yes. another thing. That's the yes. only time He-Man uses the sword of power. And at no point does <laughs> He-Man Yeah. And at no point does He-Man transform from Prince Adam into He-Man, which is probably the thing He-Man does. He's a he's like Shazam. He's a weak kid who gets the sword, says the words, turns into a superhero. This movie does not have that. Of the movie's failures, I think that's probably the most prominent because the importance of him having that power is kind of lost when he looks like an Adonis the entire time. Wait a minute. Prince Adam is jacked all the time. There's yeah. a physical transformation here. Well, he's wearing a shirt. 
I, I, I'm going to call BS on this one. To me, that was one of the improvements the movie made on the, the cartoon is that the whole point of Prince Adam is pointless because he's clearly He-Man. He's not even wearing freaking glasses. He's not even Clark kenting it up. He's just he's the biggest damn man in Eternia. But oh, I've got a shirt on, so I'm clearly a not pink He-Man shirt because you purple, can't see my nip. pants. My nip, my nips are covered, so I'm not He-Man. I Come mean, on. Have you seen that dude's quads? Mean quads on that guy. Dude, massive. Yeah. His, well, his that... leg day routine must be epic. You, you can chalk that up to Funimation being cheap, too, that they couldn't afford to make a second model. Oh, that's really what it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, fair enough, but to me, that's not something I missed in the movie. I didn't need to see Prince Adam in this movie. The whole point of the power is that, like, oh, without the power, Skeletor would win. Like, the sword is the key to them keeping Castle Grayskull. Like, yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole thing it, that carried He-Man is the catchphrase of by the power of Grayskull. I have the power, and that is that is present in this film. But why? Well, I think it's I think it's not clearly stated, but it's implied heavily that they have to kill He Man. It's not so much that they need to get the sword, uh, but they do, that does come into play in the end. Eventually, it does get trapped. He gets pulled out, and you get the poorly dubbed line that's clearly not what Dolph is actually saying when he does finally give you the money shot. But the point is, Skeletor does realize he has to kill He-Man. Uh, it's you know to to gain the power of Grayskull. But man, he really wants him to kneel first in a weird way. Yeah, well, he doesn't want to remember. He doesn't want to make him a martyr, and that gives us the great line of uh, something about you know the loneliness of evil is good. Also, you know, like is being good lonely. Yeah, they're both these kindred spirits. Tell me, He-Man, is the loneliness of good equal to the loneliness of evil or something? That's there, There's some really good lines in this. And Frank Langella uh, was responsible for some of it. He wrote or helped write the dialogue for Skeletor because he was really into it and really wanted that performance to, to be top-notch. He also helped design the costume. That's spectacular. Because he, he was that into because his son was a huge He-Man fan. And that's why he took the role and he took it very seriously. This is Tony Award winning Frank Langella. Not just Perry White, Frank Langella. This is, this is a, a, a bona fide Broadway actor taking on this role. And he took it <laughs> very seriously. Frank Langella came to play. Yeah. The funny thing about Canon films is that even though they were producing mostly crap, they often had big time actors in their movies because they their sort of translation of how to make a Hollywood hit was just to have one famous person. And as long as you had one famous person, people would see the movie. So, you know, you get Stallone for over the top. You bring back Superman, even though you have no clue what you're doing. You sign Charles Bronson to like this huge multi-picture deal. Uh, Chuck Norris was their big karate guy. Van Damme started in Canon films. It was all about like, well, people want to see him. Didn't matter what the movie was about, you know, because this movie's really about nothing. Uh, the plot is totally True. nonsensical. You just took a property you knew people liked, and you're like, oh, let's make a movie about that. And people see it because it's He-Man. Doesn't matter if it resembles what He-Man was. It's called He-Man, so pe- it's called Masters of the Universe, so people see it. And it's it's got Dolph Lundgren in it. Yeah, and it's yeah. got. Yeah. That know, worked on me. 
Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I, I probably liked this a lot more, but I really don't have that many recollections of seeing it. So, this is one of the first movies as a kid that I remember seeing and being disappointed in. Yes, because it it didn't deliver what I expected, and it was it was the first. Like when I saw Turtles three, I'd already seen the previous two Turtles, so I, it had some goodwill built up going into it. This one, I went in like, "Hey, He Man, oh, awesome." And I was like, no, that was not good. Like, I didn't get what I wanted out of this at all. And there was no goodwill built up by any previous yeah. films. So I was, yeah. I think uh, for me, that was another canon film, Captain America. Oh, which, I, I was very excited for that when that yeah, came out. And that thing is like damn near unwatchable. Also of the same era, just to give Dolph all his credit here, uh, the uh, the original Punisher. Yeah. Which, that was uh, actually watchable. It it's watchable, but it is it has not aged well. No, it's it wasn't good. It was very cheap. He's very Punisher esque in it. Like he does, he seems like the character of the Punisher. I mean, he hangs a guy in the very first scene of the movie. Like, yeah, it, it's pretty violent. It's a violent film, but it's kind of a shitstorm. Yeah, it's total. It's totally cheap. Yeah. But. So, uh, do we really want to discuss the plot that much, or should we just get into questions we have about it? You have to talk about the plot because you have to talk about how weird this plot is. And I mean, ultimately, every decision that they make with this plot boils down to, well, I guess we don't got the money to do anything else. So this is what we're doing. Um, so but well, let me say this first, Captain Cash, and then then give us the plot summary. Yeah. But I will say the problem I have with this movie is it's got basically three sets. You've got the opening scene, and what's that famous rock formation? Kirk's Rock. Yeah. So you've got that, and it, which, okay, I'm not knocking it. It's a good opening. Actually, the opening is one of the better parts of the movie, but it is a yeah. little generic. It's a little Very generic, but, but it's solid. It's solid. Um, and then you go to the throne room in Castle Grayskull, and that's pretty good, too. Like, there was some money there. You can see they, they put some money into that. And then basically the rest of the movie happens inside of a gymnasium and a, and a strip mall a record parking store, lot. Yeah. Those are the three. Yeah, those are the three. And the music. Don't forget the record shop. But I'll throw that in. I'll include that into the strip mall area. That's basically the three set pieces for the movie. You get outdoors. In uh, in the uh, attorney area, you get the throne room in Castle Grayskull, and then you get suburbia strip mall parking lot slash gymnasium. That's the whole movie. It happens in those three different places. Here's a here's one of the issues, right? Like the throne room, you're in a fair amount, but not enough for. It's one of the largest sets at the time. It was one of the largest sets ever built. You're really not in it enough to justify whatever they spent on it. And then Gwildor's Gwildor's hut. Yeah which looked really cool and, and innovative. Like, it, it was unique. And you're like, oh, this guy is from, a, you know, whatever race he is. And this it was an interesting place to be, but you're there for a minute and a half. So why waste all the time making it? You never go back. Yeah. That's a good point. That, that, was, a good, that was a good set piece. A lot of cool stuff in yeah, there. Yeah, really Very detailed. Very Star Wars, Dark yeah. Crystal-esque. Yeah. So I guess to... To your point, you open on Eternia. Uh, you've got He-Man, Man-at-Arms, Tila, and they all rescue the not-Orco of this movie, a character named Gwildor, who is a locksmith who has created a cosmic key 
which can open portals to anywhere. He returns in the Matrix sequel. Uh, the short version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The short version is that they open a portal to Earth, and they escape to Earth, where there's actually another cosmic key which Skeletor gets, and then basically. He-Man is playing keep away from Skeletor's forces for the second half of the movie, wherein Courtney Cox and her boyfriend at the time, Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager, find the key, uh, and the story becomes entirely about them and Courtney Cox's dead parents and her getting over that, uh, and them assisting the Eternians in, I guess, playing keep away with the key, only for ultimately... The guy from the guy Ubik. from Top Gun, man, Stinger. The guy from yeah, the guy from Top Gun. The guy from uh, yeah. Back to the Future. Basically, the the eighties yeah. authority figure, uh, bald guy. Yeah, is on their tail as the detective trying to hunt down whatever this craziness is. Uh, before everyone ultimately goes back to Eternia, Skeletor absorbs the power of He Man, but. Through whatever strength of will, He-Man is able to stand up, take the sword, and defeat Skeletor. Uh, only for Lubick to then decide he will stay in Eternia because, because he thinks uh, it's awesome. <laughs> and then Courtney Cox. Apparently he could never yeah. score on Earth, and Eternian women were really into him. Just super into him. And so then Courtney Cox goes... They use the cosmic key to send Courtney Cox back in time to before her parents got on the plane crash that killed her, she stops them from getting on the plane. Um, and that is the end. It is, it is a weird movie that He-Man is not the main character of. It is Courtney Cox the entire time. And I, I don't get who, it. Who actually has a pretty solid performance. Oh yeah, she did. I mean, I think this was her first major role, right? Prior yeah. to this, it was all Bruce Springsteen videos. Correct. She was good enough in the film to make me believe that she ever worked at a fried chicken restaurant. <laughs> She's not the worst part of this movie, but yeah, the, the focus on the, the human character's arc here is bizarre. And the fact that she gets more closure in the end by going back in time and reuniting with her parents than He-Man does... I mean, that speaks volumes to the deficiencies in this movie. Because, again, He-Man is an afterthought throughout yeah. the whole thing. Skeletor gets gets a much stronger character arc, and so does Courtney Cox. Yeah. And and the lack of Battle Cat is unforgivable. I, I, Wait, I still I can't get past that. Mr. Wizard, help me out here. What is the character development or arc we see with He-Man in this movie? Where does he start? Where does he... Go, what does he go through? There's and where literally does he end none. Up? You you start with him yeah. <laughs> in desperate circumstances, fighting off Skeletor's forces. You end with him winning, but there is no real elaboration to their conflict. Even Lubeck, the detective who starts off as kind of this hard ass who's uncompromising, learns his lesson in the end and is like, "Huh, you know, I've found a better way of life here." Also, my shotgun is demonstrably more powerful than all these Eternian weapons as he lays waste to, like, every one of Skeletor's troops single-handedly. <laughs> you know what? I've decided to become a reasonable yeah. 80s authority figure. This is going to work out. This is my boomstick. Now I'm turning a new leaf, guys. Uh, I'm just wearing togas now. Leather jackets are out. <laughs> 
Still my favorite character. 87 would have been a good time to pull that off, I think. So I have a few questions about the movie uh, before we get into uh, my I Have the Power quiz. If Gwildor stays on Earth, how long before he's morbidly obese? Because that dude loves fried chicken. Based on his sauce consumption alone, I say he's got three months in before he's developing diabetes. That's all I'm saying. Oh, easily. He will definitely have a heart condition on the inside of a year. And my question is, because there's no, apparently, animals with bones in Eternia, what would the Eternia equivalent of fried chicken be? Fried Orco. Fried Orco. That's why he doesn't appear in the oh, movie. I mean, yeah. Delicious blue yeah, floating yeah, alien the, things. That's the true Hollywood uh, version of that story. Yeah, Orco was actually uh, chopped up and fried before filming. So they had to make do with uh, another character. Right after they ate Battle Cat. Poor Battle Cat. Come on. Lay off Cringer. He-Man's out in the desert. Not a lot of water out there. He's fighting Skeletor's troops. Somebody's got to go. Battle cat. You know how much food it would take to feed that thing? That's a big cat. So uh, one of the main plot points of this film is Courtney Cox and uh, her boyfriend finding the cosmic key in a cemetery. They believe it to be a Japanese synthesizer that somebody just would have left there because, of course, you leave your musical instruments in a cemetery. When has finding something in a cemetery ever panned out in a movie? Ever. That did not work out for Ash Williams. No. No, it did not. No. I mean, to be fair, in real life, not in a movie, but that's where I get most of my wife's flowers. Wow. It's a good arrangement <laughs> there. They're just lying. They just, just lying show up. I mean, no one's around, so no harm, no yeah. foul. Saturdays at noon. Uh, they get the new ones in. <laughs> just hanging out in cemeteries, robbing graves, you know. What do you do? That's what... That's what you do as a teen in the eighties, right? What, no, uh, what, one of my favorite. What's what's the eighties uh, zombies movie that that that's got that great punk rock uh, scene? Is it Return of the Living Dead? It's the Living Dead for sure, but which one? I'm not. I think it's. I think it's. Re- I think it's Return of the Living Dead. Has the great punk rock, bizarre cemetery scene. I don't. Uh, I can't recall. I can picture. The box art in my head right now you got the punk rock skeleton next uh, guy next to the punk rock skeleton girl over the top of a tombstone says return of the living dead yeah that's a good one another very central question to my lack of understanding what the hell they were thinking at many points in this movie what was with courtney cox's nightgown at the end she's not one of the golden girls she's a high schooler she looks like the ghost of christmas past my only answer to that is the 80s were a hell of a drug. She was very modest, Mr. Wizard. She was very modest. No bare shoulders. No bare shoulders. Now, did you guys happen to read about the planned sequel? If so, how bonkers did that sound? I did not. Please tell me about the planned sequel. Canon Films intended to create a sequel to Masters of the Universe, which if you watch the end credits, again, Marvel didn't invent this because Skeletor survives his fall. The sequel, titled Masters of the Universe 2 Cyborg, was written and followed He-Man, who returned to Earth, because it's cheaper, to battle Skeletor, who has left Earth as a post-apocalyptic wasteland. The film was going to feature Trapjaw, She-Ra, Pro Surfer, Laird Hamilton, was going to replace Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. 
And the only aspect known about the sequel's screenplay was that He-Man would have returned to Earth disguised as a professional quarterback. Wait, is He-Man Flash Gordon? And uh, Skeletor was going to be like an evil mergers and acquisitions. He was going to be Patrick Bateman. He was going to be an <laughs> evil corporate raider. That, that, was, that was the angle they were going to take. So you're going to have Skeletor in a suit and He-Man playing football. The plot sounds bad enough, right, Captain Cash? But the sequel was only going to get a budget of $4.5 And it was going to be... How much cocaine over what period of time would you have to do? Like, no, no. Yeah, let's make that. Oh. Imagine this movie on one-fifth the budget of what it had. Oof. I do want to point out that you are absolutely right. This was the first post-credits scene that I remember where you have to sit through the entirety of the credits and at the very end, Skeletor pops out of the water and goes, I'll be back. Oh, neat, they got a plan. And then, as an adult, you realize, oh, it was Canon Films. So they were going to direct this, and the guy that was going to direct it, Albert Pune, was going to direct it at the same time he was directing the aborted Spider-Man movie that Canon was developing. So this project ended up getting scrapped because they couldn't pay Mattel the licensing fees. Fun fact, the end result of all of this nonsense, including Spider-Man and this aborted sequel, was the Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle Cyborg, which allegedly uses some of the sets that were going to be constructed for both the sequel to Masters of the Universe and for the Spider-Man movie. So, you know, Canon mashed whatever crap they had invested in those two projects and and compacted it into the somewhat entertaining turd that is Cyborg. Cyborg is entertaining. I enjoy Let's that make movie. it lemonade. It's, bad. it's still bad. Cyborg's great because of the villain, yeah. Back Off War Child, who that's the only other movie I've ever seen that the angry aggro surfer from Point Break in. A little bit of trivia, star of Cyborg 2, Angelina Jolie. Huh. So here's another uh, good bit of trivia. And I got a, just a couple more. Uh, that this film almost never even was released. And I'll let Chumpzilla explain this one because they ran out of money. And how can you tell that, Chumpzilla? Okay, well, so there's a lot of problems with this movie from the get-go. I mean, so Mattel and Canon had a 50-50 deal to produce this movie. And the deal was that Mattel would put up the first 50% of the budget. Canon would do the rest. Well, Canon burns through Mattel's money. And they're like, yeah, we're going to need some more. So they work out some deals. They finally, it ends up happening because Mattel was in bad shape. Like their sales were dropping because the He-Man fad had passed. This That's probably the biggest sin of this movie is that it didn't catch the rising wave of popularity with the property. It was on the tail end. But anyway, so there was funding problems from the get-go. There were days that payroll didn't clear. And they had they had to beg the staff to work through the day, and then somehow Canon was able to get people paid by the end of Friday. But regardless, when they got to the final battle scene between He-Man and Skeletor, they had this whole set built, which again, I think Mr. Wizard pointed out, was one of the largest sets ever for that Castle Grayskull throne room. And it was actually built and designed to 
facilitate this grand sword fight at the end. But when it came down to it, there was no money to film it. So that's why you get that weird pocket dimension. Lights go dark, comes back in. Everything's dark in the background. It's it's just He-Man and Skeletor jumping around without any real, you know, bearings to that environment. They'd been in the throne room. So they were able to, to film a little bit then. And that was it. And Canon was fine with that abbreviated ending. So we'll just fade to black and call it a movie. And I was like, oh, we can't do that. We've, we've got to figure something out. So through negotiations and back and forth, several months later, they were able to come back with $50,000 straight from the director with a match from Canon. They were able to film for one day a little more footage to flesh out the rest of that abbreviated fight scene to give the movie somewhat of a proper ending. So that's how touch and go this movie was. It actually came down to the director pulling 50K out of his own pocket to say, hey, I want to end this in a somewhat civilized fashion. Woof. Yeah, and um, I mean, I'll talk about more because my recommendation is actually a documentary about Canon films. And that was just the way these guys did business. Everything was fast and loose. Uh, very similar to the company that did Corman's Fantastic Four, right? Like, you know, you, you generate the money. You say it's for this. It might not go there. You never know where it's going. They're, they're putting money down on projects that don't even exist. They're selling projects based upon ideas, and they don't have actors attached or anything like that. It's wild, man. Let's not uh, totally gloss over the fact that Mattel actually got desperate during the production of this movie because so this movie came out in 87 right okay so their sales of the toys had topped 400 million in 86 wow come 87 the number was 7 million they saw an almost 400 million dollar drop in their toy sales so this to them was a huge huge marketing opportunity so they weren't all that invested in it on the front end but on the back end they got desperate because they thought this was their best shot to sell more toys and see that makes sense because when i was a kid i had a handful of he-man toys but the ship had clearly sailed and then ninja turtles came in and that was everything like blew it away yeah and gi joe was i mean like I follow this Twitter account that's basically like, it's like just honoring the G.I. Joe toys. And they had a bunch of pictures today. And I'll see if I can find one and I'll retweet it at Hops and B.O. Flops. And it was just a toy shelf of all the friggin' G.I. Joe stuff. And it was insane. Like just the amount of stuff they were putting out. The vehicles. It was crazy. I mean, some of those G.I. Joe vehicles are monstrous. They're just monstrous. I mean, the toys that they made for for he-man you basically you had castle grayskull i don't know if they ever made a snake mountain set i feel like they did but that that was kind of it and then you had the main line like he-man skeletor cringer orco yeah ram man trap jaw manny yep. faces i had mechanic i had manny faces i had uh ram man he-man i don't even think i had a skeletor uh, i had a moss man if you remember Moss Man, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Stinkor. I love that action for figure because it actually smelled like a skunk. But that's the thing. Like, you know, when you're a kid, everything is such a... When it's hot, it's hot. 
And when it's not, it's not. You know, like oh sure. And one day it's the, yeah. the most important thing in the world to you, and the next day it's game over. I stand by that if this movie would have cleaved even slightly closer to the source material and not had the deviation to Earth and just did full-on He-Man, this could have brought He-Man back. I mean, the seed of an idea is there. Langella really does kill it in this movie. It's it's like anything. True. Right? You take a big gamble, and this was a big gamble for Canon. And it was a big gamble for Mattel, and it pretty much backfired for both. And had it panned out, it probably would have bought Canon a few more years. But the way they were doing business, those years were limited. But it could have bought Mattel many more years of producing He-Man as a as a big time product. So Mattel actually, I think they suffer from being cheap asses in this regard because they screwed up two major properties because of their short-sightedness heading into this and at the same time their big regret was they turned down the star wars license oh Oh, yeah that's brutal okay let's remember there's a lot of history here because this is the toy wars you you mentioned this mr wizard you you had uh, contemporaries to this movie you definitely had gi joe and transformers and teenage teenage mutant ninja turtles so there was a lot of big multimedia properties going on. A lot of these toy companies are trying to figure out, hey, how do I capitalize on this? How do I how do I make this work? And Mattel was stumbling through it. So they had dropped the ball. They had they had told George Lucas and Fox to go pound sand. And Kenner was more than happy to pick that up. Kenner also got the superpowers line and picked up all the stuff with DC. And so that left uh, Mattel kind of like saying, all right, hold on, we're missing out here. The He-Man property was kind of a home-cooked deal, and they were doing good with it. And this is their, they're, they're trying to push it to that next level. They were trying to get that Star Wars money. And actually, um, Ralph McQuarrie, at one point, was attached to this project, uh, you know, artist that worked on Star Wars. Uh, he did some of the design work for this. Not much of it made it into the film, Except for the uh, robot guardsmen, the Death Troopers. That's yeah. Ralph McQuarrie. That that's Star Wars action there. You're telling me he didn't design the record store? I don't think he did. No. But Who designed Gwildor? Not not Jim Henson. So poor poor Mattel. And I'm I'm doing this because I I, you know, I want to get a Secret Wars uh, plug in here. So that this was their big comeback. They 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 tried to prop up He Man. And then because of the superpowers line, they said, well, let's go call Marvel. And that's why you have the Secret Wars toys, because they wanted they wanted to get on that that uh, <clears throat> superpowers money. But they didn't want to squeeze out their He-Man toys. So they made the Marvel toys as cheaply as they could. And that's why they had the smaller size, the limited articulation. That was the whole thing. Like, we just want to we just want to cash in on this. So they were they they were in a weird place at the time, and then halfway through this movie, they got super desperate because of that drop in the He-Man sales. And if you listen to the director, and again, this is a plug for the documentary here, they were like, "Do whatever, we don't care. Just just make it good. Let, let us sell toys. Something. We're just trying to sell toys. Yeah, what whatever it takes to get our next toy line selling, do it. Okay, so that's a really good point to segue into our first break. And when we come back, we'll do the I Have the Power. 
He-Man Trivia Challenge. It's about this movie. So I don't really know that much about the He-Man toys. Uh, it was too early for me. So though I did have a few of them, I really want, there's a lot of funny things about this movie that I found. So all movie based. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeOfTheFans.com. This is the I Have the Power He-Man Trivia Challenge. Just trivia about this wonderful, wonderful movie. Are you ready? Uh, as long as we establish, we, we don't agree that this film is wonderful. Just, it's worth just saying, it's weird. for sure. Like, I think it, I would watch this. Oh, I guess, you know, we didn't really say how many beers it would take to get through it. I'd say four. Because you want to enjoy yourself yeah. watching it. Eh, four. I, I, Easy I do st- three to four. Easy six beer movie for me. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. harsh. What about when he rides the hoverboards? Oh, my God. Okay. For, I forgot. That is, that is the out worst out blue screen you can possibly imagine. That That is like, that is news channel blue screen doing the weather but i'm riding on a flying disc it's, god it's bad it's not great the worst part about that is hearing dolph lundgren describe how difficult it was to film that he's like you're on this rig on the side of a truck in in ski boots trying to hold yourself up and he's like it's so difficult he's he's, he's i appreciate the earnestness of his comments but i'm like yeah but you realize it looks like horse shit right like, like I get it. It was, it was, it was tough to stay erect while you're getting jerked around in the back of a pickup truck while you're strapped into, you know, you, in front of the blue screen. But yeah, it looks like shit. So, okay. That's actually uh, one of the the things I guess we really didn't mention was just how miserable this experience was for the majority of people in the movie. This was a five month shoot, mostly at night. Again, you're working in conditions where you don't know if the paycheck's coming or not, and you don't know if it's going to clear. <laughs> so yeah. these people had a, a terrible time. Like, Evil Lynn's costume was like 45 pounds and just incredibly uncomfortable to wear. The Lundgren experience in the friggin' so, chassis on the truck. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't have fun. So Evil Lynn, Evil Lynn... Uh, I will say this: I got a little bit of a uh, uh, Chronicles of Riddick vibe there from her headpiece. Well, we should have went to the Underverse. Threshold, take us to the mm-hmm. threshold. Take us to the threshold. All right, number one: Billy Barty as Gwildor was nominated for the 1987 Razzie for Worst Supporting Actor. He lost out to this actor from Over the Top. Was it David Mendenhall who played Michael Cutler? or Michael Hawk, the son, Robert Lauja, Jason Cutler, Rick Zumwalt, Bob Bull Hurley, or the master of hardcore, Terry Funk, as Rooker. And I can repeat those if necessary. Uh, I'm just going to go with Rooker, because I don't think they do that to a kid. I'm going to go with C, whoever C was. Rick Zumwalt, Bob Bull Hurley. You know what? You know what, Captain Cash? Yes. They did that to, to a kid. David Mendenhall, Razzie, worst supporting actor, over the top. Oh! They did that to a kid? That seems, seems harsh, Razzies. I mean, I know you exist just to make fun Terry of people. So, we're not we're currently at zeros. That is not very but, funk uh, of you. You guys have a chance to pick up two points right now, because in 1988, 
Barty, back-to-back, nominated again. What movie was he nominated for this time? 1988. Billy Barty. Willow? Chumpzilla. Uh, what's that Gary Oldman and Midget movie? Tiptoes? Oh, we don't, we yeah. don't like that word. Yeah, what's, Little people. it's a dwarf. And no, that's a 90s movie. I think that's 1998. Oh, so wait, oh. Well, that's my answer. Well, two points for Captain Cash. It was Willow. He was the high Aldwin in Willow. (laughs) Dang. First first things first, right? Robert Laja, clearly not the answer. Everything he touches turns to gold. Secondly, nothing from Willow should have ever been nominated for the Razzies. You can all go to hell. Yeah, come on. Willow is a a good movie. It's It's got Val Kilmer in it. Legitimately good movie. Mad Mardigan. The world's greatest swordsman. And volleyball player. Fantastic volleyball player. <laughs> Number two, the cosmic key props for the film were very fragile, and they only made three of them. Well, again, this cost-saving measures. They would often break and have to be repaired. So like the TMNT animatronic heads from the third film, though, they've also become quite the collector's items. Over under how much they go for on the open market. Is it A, $1,000, B, $3,000, C, greater than or less than or equal to $5,000, or D, over $5,000? D, over $5,000. They only made three of them. Uh, I'm going to go the $1,000. They are, esti- this was a couple years ago, but they're, they were estimated to be worth $6,000 on the open market, the Cosmic Key. Oh, jeez. Listen. I don't like this movie that much, but if I had the opportunity to purchase one of these for a thousand dollars, I would very seriously consider it. And and, and uh, wait, let, I mean, let's be clear here: they are in fact fully functioning animatronic oh, devices, yeah. right? They do all that spinning. That that was a practical effect. That's not CGI yeah. or any monkey business. Those things do all that crap. Not the laser projection, yeah. but all the physical I'm not, movements. I'm not sure they have yeah. the super psychedelic keytar elements to them. I love when he's <laughs> playing it, and he's like, you know, they're they're panicked because they're under attack, and they're like, where are we? And he's like, I don't know. I was just pressing keys. It's like, so literally, you could have fucking went anywhere. You were just pressing keys. You you could have teleported us into the sun. Okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Gwildor. Quickly on the note of music here for a second... This was the biggest surprise to me in this movie, hands down. They somehow were able to secure the licensing rights to Purple Haze. And not a cover of Purple Haze, not a Muzak version of Purple Haze. This movie literally features Jimi Hendrix playing you know, the album version of Purple Haze. I feel that, like that's, that's indicative the- of this film. They invested a lot of money in places where it doesn't make sense to have done that. That's like the only piece of actual like soundtrack music. Now, the soundtrack in this movie is not bad. No, it's fine. Don't get me wrong. The, or- the orchestral part of this movie, not bad. But the pop culture soundtrack, they have one recognizable song in this movie, and it's freaking Jimi Hendrix. Now, that couldn't have been cheap. It is definitely a question of where are you spending your money and why? Because the cosmic key serves a purpose, yes. obviously, but why does it need like 15 spinning, like sharpened points? 
and why did they need to have it make all these silly sounds? Who knows? It was tuning fork. They were tuning forks. It was sound based. It was sound based. Yeah, the, the cosmic key is among the props in this thing that is really cool and actually very memorable. It is a cool thing. I think it's weird that it kind of has like a gun handle on one end. I haven't really figured that out, but still. It's like it's like one of those weird industrial dildos, you know. It's just got that like grip on the end, and the business stuff faces forward. <laughs> industrial dildos. Cosmic, cosmic dildos. What is what 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 is the industry that requires? <laughs> I've got some videos oh. for you. Oh, good God! Captain oh, I don't think you do. Why you talk about one movie with Dolph Lundgren in his uh. underwear, and it gets weird. Gets really weird. Uh, Real weird. Dolph Lundgren in his underwear being whipped and being repeatedly told to kneel. Hey, so wait, hold on, because we're way off topic here. Oh, you don't say. Are we? I, I, I love, I love Skeletor's makeup in this. I think it's better than the Red Skull's makeup in the first Avenger, hands down. Uh, yeah, no, term- if you painted that red, that would totally work yeah. with Red Skull. Hard agree. But the only shortcoming is the nose. Yeah. Because you can see those are clearly mesh panels for him to breathe through, which I'm not knocking. I'm just saying if they would just extend it out, the, the nasal structure there a bit, to give it a shadow, that would have been hidden. Yeah. So they, they just needed to hide that because they left it too far back. It's like a bad nose job. You can see up his nostrils. They give them that a little bit more of a of a, a cover, that that would have worked perfect. And that and and now correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't have the best eye for this. But was that was his was Frank Langella's mouth animatronic? No, that was his real mouth. He had uh, dentures in. Yeah, he had dentures in, but he had a hard time getting his mouth open. I felt like at times that because I think it's just the mouth, just slip. a he- heavy prosthetic. That's, yeah. the down, that's the only downside of that makeup and, and get up was that his mouth did not move as freely. But, uh, yeah, I, I still – I thought that was great. As far as Skeletor goes, like I don't think you could – on that budget and for that time, I don't think you could have done much better. Really? No. I, it, it still holds up. I think he looked pretty good. I do have a question why he turned into a – golden elephant at the end but. yeah that is weird yeah that's that was weird as a kid that that, that 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 doesn't hold up at all i was like this seems like a waste now he's more powerful couldn't you have just had the weird lightning effect where he becomes the emperor for all intents and purposes and he's just electrocuting he-man yeah. right. uh, the 80s was a hell of a drug so number three to pad out real world skyline the film recycled miniatures from which two classic films? Is it A, The Terminator and The Lost Boys, B, E.T. and Aliens, C, Blade Runner and Ghostbusters, or D, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Back to the Future? Blade Runner and Ghostbusters. Raiders and, and Back to the Future. It is Blade Runner and Ghostbusters. So it's two to one, correct? Yeah. Damn. No, no, it's three to one because yeah. you got the uh, cosmic key answer, of which I have no doubt you've already yeah. attempted to purchase one. Listen, I, I might be able to justify an $1,000 cosmic key, but a $6,000 cosmic key would almost certainly get me divorced. 
it can take you anywhere anywhere yeah you know what else can a book yeah take a look just take a look it's in a book reading rainbow okay so you you guys know four we've talked about it Gwildor was created to replace who orko because orko is sort of a floating ghoulish type of character and he's not ghoulish he's kind of a like he's a ghost little goblin how hard would you you paint fucking Gwildor blue and you hang him from wires (laughs) that sounds good hold on uh first off i think that's dwarvish um but still why did they have to do the heavy prosthetics on his face i feel like that was just an unnecessary because he he was one of the lamer character effects throughout the movie take it back why 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 did you have to have that he could just been a dwarf he didn't need to have the weird chipmunk cheeks and all that. That wasn't that wasn't necessary. If you don't have the cheeks, then he doesn't have the gills, and you don't get the great joke of him blowing water all over everybody when he literally is found face down, and they're all like laughing at him as if it's funny. I, I never got that. Why? Like he, he could. He could. What, what was? What was the? Uh, what was? What was the uh, Willow? Um, yeah, he's just. He's a regular character. The Ewok. The Ewok guy. What was his name? Warwick Davis. Oh, Warwick yeah. Davis. Warwick Davis. God, that hurt my brain. You said Warwick Davis there in, in some uh, medieval garb, and you've been good. Again, it's why did you choose to spend money here? I'm trying yeah. to save canon money. I am trying to save canon money here. And, just, and the mouth, the animatronic mouth on Gwildor only kind of works. Everything it's, about it's Gwildor would. Fact. Including his love of fried chicken and his grappling hook. He, he was an entertaining character. His grappling hook that literally takes like giant arcs in its shot. Hey, I feel like that was cartoon accurate. That was very cartoony and I had no problem with that. Yeah, fair enough. True. I love when it came back through the time like yeah. field. And grab the cosmic key. Yoink! Number five, and I think you guys will know this already. This film is a homage to which great comic book writer and artist? Oh, Kirby. See, you guys know. That's alleged. I don't buy it at all. Now, here's what I can say. Here's what I found. This is according to the director, Gary Goddard. He said he was heavily influenced by Kirby's Fourth World series, and he went as far as to attempt to hire Kirby as a concept artist on the film. Uh, That fell through, so he then tried to acknowledge the debt he paid to Kirby's output with a dedication during the credits, and the studio put the kibosh on that as well. But the director spoke very highly of Kirby's influence and how he wanted to channel that in the film. Now, watching it, aside from the pseudo-boom tubes, things of that nature... I don't really buy it. I guess you get sort of a dark sidey vibe from Skeletor, maybe, but he's not very powerful at all. He actually loses by getting his sword slash blocked and falling. So he's not. I understand on the surface why there's a somewhat general comparison here, but this movie it is nowhere near an accurate what I consider He-Man property representation, let alone a uh, Jack Kirby New Gods you know, representation either. Because it's just nonsensical. It doesn't go anywhere. 
the plot's not that deep. You get, yeah. There's no dark side here, in my, in my opinion. Like, yeah, Skeletor is a villain, but he's not dark side. You don't have the other half of the equation. You don't have the good guys. You don't have Orion. You don't, you don't even have, like, Thor and Doctor Doom. I've heard other people say that, oh, it, it, just sub out Skeletor for Doctor Doom and, and sub in He-Man uh, or Thor for He-Man. No, I don't mm-hmm. buy it one bit. Like, I get it. You got a bad guy and a good guy, and there's some space stuff. But this story is way too small and self-contained, in my opinion, to be anywhere near Kirby stuff. It doesn't have, like, the multi-dimensional sort of gravitas of that at all. And, and just, I mean, I'll be, I'll be a dork here and just say, planets, planets. There were multiple planets involved. It was a big, a big story, a big arc. And this was a very small movie. It happened in a freaking uh, strip mall. You have a cosmic key that can take you anywhere. You'll go to a strip mall, a gymnasium, yep. and uh, Kirk's You'll go rock. to a Sam Enjoy. Goody yeah. in a high school gymnasium. <laughs> An independent Sam Goody. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, but no, I, I get it, though. The, uh, and this may be, to your point, Mr. Wizard, is where we get the, the Grandois... Uh, Skeletor headgear. Maybe that was an attempt to, to play up the Kirby-esque a, uh, aspects here and to give him that strange, ornate headgear and try to make things a little more impressive than they were. But yeah, to me, did not stick. Did not did not stick as a Kirby. This is not Thor Ragnarok. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is not Ragnarok. This is not Ragnarok by no. any stretch. This is not Ragnarok, sir. I served with Ragnarok, and you, sir, are no Ragnarok. If anything, it's closer. Like, I don't think Skeletor's particularly like Doom, but his design is very Doom-esque. He's got the hood, he's got sort of the robe. But yeah, I mean, that's I about as far it. as it goes. I, I'll concede that. I'll concede that. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a good hood and a good robe. That looked good on film. It flowed well. He wore it yeah. well. Yeah, I really liked him. So and Again, that's Frank Langella. He wanted that. He was very concerned about how that fit him. Which brings us to number six. It's four to two, by the way. This actor or actress from the film has publicly stated it was one of their favorite roles. Oh, it's Langella, 100%. It is, yeah. right? In an interview, we talked about it. Uh, he stated that playing Skeletor was one of his favorite roles because of his son, which we mentioned, who would run around the house shouting, by the power of Grayskull. And he wrote that line, tell me about the loneliness of good He-Man, is it equal to the loneliness of evil? Which is the best line in the movie, written by the best actor in the movie. Yeah, again, I cannot stress how much Frank Langella is acting his ass off in this movie. I am not in a giving mood this day. (laughs) <laughs> second best movie or line in this movie and that is Shakespeare so number seven last question technically this game is out of reach so I'll make this worth three points because it's five to what? three Captain Cash Mattel ran a contest for a fan to be in the movie it was difficult but the director was able to squeeze the winner Richard Sponder into the movie which character did he play is it A. Carl the janitor who gets just the living shit kicked out of him by Beast Man. <laughs> B, Pig Boy. 
<laughs> C, just one of Skeletor's dark troopers, or D, Sarod? Pig Boy. Uh, one of Skeletor's troopers. It is Pig Boy. And you will, you will notice Richard Sponder when Skeletor returns to Eternia from Earth after having captured He-Man, he hands Skeletor his staff. That's his only scene. He is featured in the credits. Richard, you did a tremendous job. Pig Boy. Way to hand that staff, buddy. Sounds like a character from the island of Dr. Moreau. It really does. Yeah. Man, pair of All right, so we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do recommendations, and then we will leave you. All right, we are back on Hops and Box Office Flops. This is our final segment of the show. We'll do some quick recommendations. Uh, then I'm going to ask these uh, two gentlemen what movie they would like to do next. Uh, or I might run a Twitter slash Facebook poll as well. We'll see. Recommendations mine is Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. I actually watched it uh, just before I watched the movie. I, I'd remembered coming across it on Netflix. Unfortunately, it's not free anymore, but it's like $2 to rent. You have to witness the story of this, of these two guys, Golem and uh, Globus, to really get a sense of just how insane these two guys were. Just wheeling and dealing. Pretty unscrupulous characters. And just the amount of crap they were putting out. Trumpzilla talked about it a little earlier, but it was like, most studios, you know, you do five, six, seven pictures a year. They're putting out like 70 films. And it's almost all universally terrible. There's hidden gems in there, over the top, great movie. At the time, probably wasn't particularly well received, but it stood the test of time. This is apparently a cult classic. Invasion USA, Chuck Norris. A really terrifically bad movie, but it's fun to watch. But, you know... Just schlock, all schlock. Uh, breaking, breaking two, electric boogaloo, obviously. Uh, so, you know, that's the type of stuff they're working with. And it actually started off as like sort of low grade, like softcore porn, and then transitioned into like the, these cheaper nonsense <laughs> movies. But it's a, it's definitely worth seeing. It's it started out as softcore porn called Masters of the Universe. Cause just imagine like the the difficulty of getting a movie made, and then these guys are like literally selling scripts that they they don't actually have. They're like, oh, it'll be a guy, and he'll he'll live in a truck, and he'll he'll kill murder people with pizzas. And somebody give them money, and they'd make the movie. They'd have no script; they'd just make it from that. I, I think one of their first movies was like The Happy Hooker. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, softcore porn. Yeah, yeah. Like they were like. Wow. They said, like, oh, Porky's is really popular. We'll make Porky's. But they didn't really... They, they were two guys from Israel, and they didn't quite get what an American audience would like, so their Porky's was super weird. And had, like, a bunch of, like, stuff that would be normal, uh, traditional Israeli custom in it. So an American audience is like, why the hell is this guy holding a chicken? Nobody knows, but that's part of the movie. So I mean, To be fair, my, my personal Porky's would have been pretty weird, too. So, just saying. Certainly, it would involve industrial dildos, right? And chickens. You could sell that script tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I oh recommend yeah. it highly. Definitely, definitely a watch for me. Electric Boogaloo: The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Chumpzilla, 
recommendation? Well, I, I'll piggyback on that and just say there's a lot of weirdness that goes on just with the, not just with this movie, but with the He-Man character in general. You should check out the the Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It's on Netflix. I mean, this is this is a, a weird property. Again, it was it's basically. Hey, I'll take a, a moment to soapbox here. This is born out of Reagan's deregulation of the FCC back in the '80s, where you could basically all of a sudden now run a 30-minute toy commercial. commercial. Yeah. For a toy, because before this, you couldn't you couldn't make a TV property from an existing like uh, toy, but then Reagan lifted the regulations, and all of a sudden now, yeah, okay, He Man exists as a toy, and now you can have a TV show, so you do, and that's kind of the birth of the '80s TV toy craze. And as I recall, like you'd watch the cartoon for a lot of these things, and then of course throughout the cartoon, it's just pitching you the toys. Yeah, and also that's why He Man has the uh, little like uh, uh, PSA at the end. They, they, there was some kind of like educational requirement. Oh, you have to have so much educational material in your show. The more you know. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah. So that that was the balance. So back in the day, you couldn't advertise toys on TV. They wiped that out, and they said, no, you can. Now you can do a, a 30-minute or 22-minute TV commercial for toys, but you have to add some educational material in it. So what did they do? They tacked it on to the end. Oh, the wonders of capitalism. The bare minimum. <laughs> Don't play with matches. All right, Good my time. recommendation is going to be completely out of left field uh, because I feel like it should be. Uh I've been watching Dairy Girls on Netflix. It's a show that is set in Northern Ireland in the 90s, so it's during the Troubles, but it really just follows around five characters who go to an all-girls boarding school, and it's hilarious. The Nun is hilarious. It's worth it. It's, I think, six episodes a season. There are two seasons. Each episode is 20 minutes long. You can knock through it in, like, an afternoon. But it's it's legitimately really funny. I think I've heard about this, and I must have because I recognize the name. And it is yeah supposed to be really good. And that's really that's what I kind of like about these streaming shows. The buy-in is very low. Like yeah. you can finish it quickly. Like you can catch up and feel like you're part of the conversation. Like I would never go back to a show that ran for 10 years on network television because there's 200 episodes. It's like, why am I going to put myself through this? It's like, I'd love to watch the West wing. I don't have that much time on my hands. You know, there's 180 episodes of the West wing. All right. Flash question. Next movie. And I think I know Chumpzilla's answer. I have many things I've talked about on this pod. And by the way, October's coming. I wouldn't mind having just horror movies for a couple weeks. Of course I'm leaving the country October 17th for a number of days. So really we could probably just do two October episodes and I think they should be horror themed. My recommendation or my choice would be Chopping Mall. Probably the greatest movie involving murderous robots in a shopping mall ever. I don't know if there's any other ones. Uh, I say. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love Chopping I Mall. I mean, technically doesn't... T- T2 involves murderous robots in a shopping mall, so I don't think that's fair. I think this is sort of giving up a a great bit of trivia. It's the same mall. Oh, my God. 
Same mall as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Same mall as T2. Same mall as Commando. Whoa! They tore it, tore it down, Mind by blown. the way. It's no longer... Oh, okay. It used to, I think it was in Oakland. But Chopping Mall would be my pick if I had a choice. I, I agree in the let's do a horror movie. I don't yeah. have a good one that I, I can recommend, but for October, okay. I think that would be cool. All right, we're starting with Chopping Mall then. And then we'll figure out the next one from there. And uh, I think it's time to announce our big November. It's Travolta Month. Oh, no. What have we signed up for? There's a lot of bad Travolta movies. This is only the tip of the iceberg. This month is coming back. It could come back 17 times. So I think, <laughs> what are we doing? We're doing Battlesh- Battlefield Earth from Paris oh. with Love. And what was, what was the last one that was on that list? It's the one where it's it's the Fred Durst movie. Oh yes, where he's yes. the wait, stalker. Wait, the Fred Durst movie. Yeah, it just came yes, out. Yes, and John Travolta plays his stalker. But it'll be available soon. He he essentially stalks Devin Sawa. So Stan literally is becomes the object of the Stan. Well, I thought I thought his last movie was that that the god awful Gotti movie. He's in that too. Let's be honest here. John Travolta's in a movie where he plays an electrician called Life on the Line, where he's a, he's a power line worker. That would fit. There's a movie called Speed Kills, where he's a race car driver, I think. I don't really know. I just assume by the title. That definitely fits. <laughs> I, I, well, well, Speed Kills, I'm assuming he's a tweaker. Why are we jumping straight to race car driver there? There's so many potential avenues to go down with John Travolta. The Punisher, which I've wanted to do on this show for... Oh, many, yeah, many yeah, yeah. Because hey, I love it. Punisher didn't flop. TJ's the man. Oh, it flopped. Oh, TJ. You know what? We'll we'll chew, We'll definitely do from Paris with Love because that movie's just friggin' awesome. And we'll definitely do the movie directed by Fred Durst, apparently. And then we'll put out a poll. Wait, directed of, by Fred Durst? Wait, well, Fred, wait, well, stop. Yeah, he's a director stop. now. What? Yeah. You know that movie where... Uh, Do it all for the nookie and puddle of mud guy is now a director? Holy Limp, shit. Limp biscuit, Chocolate starfish. Hot dog water yeah. in the starfish. <laughs> the Education of Charlie Banks. That's actually a movie I would see directed by Fred Durst. I like that movie a lot. Jesse Eisenberg, Jason Ritter. Good movie. He also directed the movie where Ice Cube is, uh, coaches the female quarterback. I think it's called The Long Shots or something. But yeah, he's been directing movies. Wildcats. Wildcats. I've seen them. It's called Wildcats. She's the coach. Wesley Snipe and Meg Ryan? Or is that different? Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. Whatever. <laughs> One of the blonde actresses. <laughs> Wildcats was once uh, bandied about uh, as being an episode of this show, and we kind of ran out of time that month. So maybe that'll come back down the road. So Chopping Mall is next. I'm oh, psyched. Boy. I own Chopping Mall. Shopping you two, mall you two is, losers bro. will have to pay for it. <laughs> You're not going to pay money to be on this pod. All right. Oh, I have a teenage son. I have unscrupulous ways of getting this kind of stuff acquired. Oh, you can definitely find Chopping Mall for free. So yeah. you guys know I'm, I'm into buying like vinyls of movies I really like. There's a Chopping yeah. Mall vinyl. It's out of print, but I found it. That's it amazing. Exists. I'm not sure the place I'd be buying it from wouldn't steal my identity. <laughs> I, I, I'm shocked that such a thing exists. 
Not that you require oh, it. It exists. exists. Sweetheart. So that's it. And I'll leave you with this. In the words of the wise man-at-arms, live the journey, for every destination is but a doorway to another. We'll see you next time. Safe journey. Safe journey.